All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing good. Good to see you here. If you're a first-time guest, we're especially thrilled to have you. Thanks so much for making River Glen uh, part of your Sunday. Question for you as we get started here. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have ever had a virus on your computer? A virus. Some kind of, oh boy, yeah, a lot of hands. Yeah, oh, I hate those things. Uh, those, are, those are a bad deal. And I hope you missed out on this one. Maybe some of you remember. It's been called one of the worst ever viruses and it swept through our country back in May of 2000. Hundreds of thousands of people around the world received an email. And when they opened it, it infected their computer. And it spread throughout Europe, Asia, uh, United States, clogging web servers, overwriting personal files, causing IT managers everywhere to shut down email systems. It hit every major business sector from Fortune 500 companies all the way to the Department of Defense. It infected over 45 million computers. It's estimated that it costed over $8 billion. And the key to its success were three little words on the subject uh, line. Maybe some of you remember these little words. Anybody, anybody remember the virus? Help me out. What were the three words on the subject line? I love you. Yeah, the I love you uh, virus. And it's considered one of the most successful viruses ever if you define success as the number of people that were fooled and the damage that it, it caused. And it was really genius, I mean, to put these words in the subject line because if you think about it, it appealed to, to everybody because it, it, always, it always appeared to come from somebody in your email list and we're all a little bit insecure. And so if you knew somebody loved you, you, you wanted to read it. If you, you know, loved somebody but you didn't know if they loved you back, you wanted to read it. And if you didn't think anybody loved you, yeah, you wanted to read it too. That covers just about everybody. Three simple words, I love you. Three words that count the most in relationships. Three words that can change everything. And yet for some of us, we have never heard those words spoken to us from the people in our life that matter the most. And some of us here have never said those words, those three words, to the most important people in our lives. So today's message, it may be a little difficult for some of us to hear, but we believe it can transform our lives and our relationships. All right, today we're continuing this series. It's called Words, and uh, we're looking at words and, and phrases that have the power to revolutionize and breathe new life into our relationships. And for the sake of our conversation today, we're going to focus on the relationships that we value the most. Today's phrase is one of the most important, if not the most important phrase we can ever speak into a relationship. I love you. Now, each week we're focusing in on a proverb, uh, part of the old from the Old Testament of the Bible, and uh, we're going to lean into the relational wisdom of this book. Today's proverb comes from chapter three, verse three, where it encourages us to let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so, this proverb says, when it comes to relationships, make sure that love never leaves. Make sure that love is a defining characteristic in your life and in your relationship. And I want you to notice something. This is really important. I want you to get this. There's two dimensions. There's two metaphors here uh, that are used to describe uh, love. It says that we must bind love around our neck and write love on the tablet in your heart. And here's what I want you to notice. There's an internal dimension to love. And then there's an external dimension. So let's talk about that internal dimension first. It, Proverbs says, write love on the tablet in your heart. Because back in ancient times when Solomon wrote this proverb, they didn't have computers with hard drives. 
And so if you wanted to store vital information, here's what you needed to do. You engraved it in stone, and that would signify permanence because the stone would last forever. So this proverb tells us to engrave love in our heart because love is more than just a feeling or a memory we form. It must become an indelible part of our character. And not just this proverb throughout the Bible from cover to cover, it stresses the importance of love and teaches us to engrave love on our heart. Uh, for example, here in Galatians chapter 5, it says, for the whole law, that, that would refer to the whole Old Testament, can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in the New Testament, Jesus came along and he taught a new command, I give you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love uh, one another. And so Jesus says the proof that you really follow me, it's not a cross around your neck, or Bible in your hands, not church attendance. It's not even baptism. Those are all great things. But the proof that you really follow Jesus is that you have a heart of love. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I really a loving man or loving woman? Am I really a loving husband or loving wife? A loving parent? A loving friend? A loving coworker? a loving neighbor, because that's our defining characteristic as Christ followers. Have I engraved love in my heart? Now, now for the rest of our message uh, time today, I want to just make an assumption that you, that you have this internal dimension of love in place in your heart, that you've engraved love in your heart, that you really, that you really love the people that you value the most deeply, from your, your, your heart. But notice this proverb also talks about an external uh, dimension. Notice this phrase, bind them around your neck. Bind love around your neck. Okay, so it's like a necklace. Love must be clearly seen by other people. In other words, don't just internalize it. Get the love out of your heart and into somebody else's heart by visibly and outwardly and verbally expressing it toward other people. Bible scholars think that uh, Solomon is probably referring back here uh, to something that the uh, ancient Jews would wear called a phylactery. And Orthodox Jews still wear these today. Some of you may know that uh, recently I spent a week in Israel with a group from River Glen. And we had a great time. And I'm just really grateful that the church allowed me to have that opportunity. And so one morning, um, we're in Jerusalem. And we're near the uh, Wailing Wall on the west side, west area of the temple. And I see, I see a couple guys, uh, Orthodox Jews, wearing phylacteries. See that box, little box uh, on their, attached to their uh, head? And, and some of you are going, why are they wearing, you know, a little box, you know, wrapped around their head and uh, neck? Uh, it looks a little strange to us. It looks a little weird uh, to us. Well, here's why they do this. They put scripture in that little box. And they strap it around their head. They strap it around the back of their neck to remind them to live it out, to not just internalize it, but to put Scripture into practice, which, which is, you know, this, this phylactery is, uh, is just a great idea. I wasn't sure if I could take their picture. He gave me a thumbs up, and so, you know, here we go. Got the picture. And we went ahead, and we had some phylacteries. Uh, custom made for River Glen. We got the River Glen logo on these, and they're available at the Resource Center after the service if you want to purchase one of them. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. You don't need to wear. You don't need to wear the scripture, okay, around your head and, and around your neck. But you know what? We do need to live out the scripture, and that's what this scripture. That's what this proverb is getting at. We need to get the love out of our heart. 
and into somebody else's heart and life. People must see love in our behavior, and we must vocalize and express love through words. But there's times when, you know, we feel love in our heart, you know, internally, and we don't express it, right? You know, we fall short from, you know, saying these three words to other people because as many of you know, saying I love you is not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, sometimes it feels awkward. It reminds me of a a scene from a popular Christmas movie. Some of you have probably seen this. It's called Elf, starring Will Ferrell. And uh, Elf, Buddy the Elf, meets his dad for the first time. And uh, his dad mistakes him for a singing telegram, but that doesn't stop Buddy the Elf from expressing his, his love and saying, I love you, to his dad. Take a look. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs, it's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! All right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. You look like you came from the North Pole. That's exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. He did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I'm... I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. (laughs) And, um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Wow. That was weird. Usually you guys just, uh, you know, Put my name in the jingle bells or something. It's me, your son. Susan Wells had me, and, and she didn't tell you. And, 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 but now I'm here. It's me, buddy. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper, too. It can be a little awkward, yeah. Uh, but that didn't stop Buddy. You know, you get the impression watching that, that, uh, you know, Buddy the Elf, I mean, he found it easy to say, I love you. It just kind of flowed naturally for him, but maybe not so much for his dad. And some of us in this room right now are probably more like Buddy. You know, we say it easily and naturally all the time to people that we uh, value. But then for others of us, and I would include myself here, it's more of a struggle. And uh, we don't say it very often, if ever. But I wonder, you ever think about why? Why we choose not uh, to say I love you in our uh, relationships. Maybe we don't say it because it's, it's risky. You know, maybe we've been burned before. We said I love you to somebody and they didn't respond back to us the way that we hoped. And so we decide, well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to put myself out there and make myself vulnerable to rejection. Or maybe we're not used to it. You know, maybe some of us grew up in a home with a family where rarely, if ever, we had someone uh, tell us they loved us. I grew up in a home with uh, great parents who made me feel loved and treasured, and I am just so grateful uh, for uh, both of, of them. But you know what? This phrase was not a normal part of our daily conversation, and maybe you grew up in a home like that, and so we just don't think to say it. And when we do say it, it can feel awkward 
or strange because it's just foreign to us. Or maybe, what we, maybe the reason we don't uh, uh, say the words is because we think it will cheapen the words if we say them too often, and uh, maybe we're a little bit cynical, and uh, we think if we say them a lot, they'll lose their meaning. Or maybe if we're really honest, the reason we don't say, I love you, is because we don't feel like the other person has earned it. And so we hold back and withhold love uh, to kind of punish them so they know how they're making us feel. But whatever the reason, if we don't say, I love you, Okay, I don't think we understand the power of words because if we really appreciated the power of our words, we would decide it's worth the risk. It's worth the awkwardness. It's worth setting aside our cynicism and expressing love even when we don't feel love in the moment. Now, to help us understand and more fully appreciate the power of these three words, I want to briefly look at a story where Jesus used the phrase, I love you, And it totally changed a relationship. Many of you are probably familiar with Peter, St. Peter, the Apostle Peter. Peter left his job as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, and he joined the first group of Jesus followers. And if you've ever studied his life, you know that a lot of times he got it right. And he seemed far ahead of all the others in terms of his understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to accomplish. But other times, Peter failed miserably. For example, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus shared a meal with Peter and the other disciples, and Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to bail on him when it heats up. And Peter responds and says, no way, Lord. Others might buckle, but not me. You can count on me, Jesus. And that sounded very impressive, but a few hours later when they arrested Jesus and took him to trial, Peter denied ever knowing him. In John chapter 18, they take Jesus to the house of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they begin a series of trials to fast-track Jesus to the crucifixion. And so Peter kind of hangs around the courtyard around the house of Caiaphas anonymously trying to see what's going on with Jesus. And people see him and start questioning him. A servant girl comes up and says, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And look at this. No, he said, I am not. And they asked him again, aren't you one of his disciples? I am not, he said. Didn't I see you out there uh, uh, in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. Not once, not twice. Three times Peter has the opportunity to declare his love and his loyalty for his best friend. And all three times he turns his back on Jesus. Now, that all happened before the death and resurrection of Jesus. But the part of this story I want to focus on for our conversation today happened after the resurrection when Peter comes face to face with Jesus on the shore of Galilee a few days later. And in their first real conversation since Peter's denial, Jesus asked Peter a very simple, profound Question. Okay, now think about all the different questions Jesus could have asked Peter. Like, you know, uh, Peter, what were you thinking? Peter, do you realize how much you hurt me? Peter, are you sorry? I mean, Peter, dude, what is your problem? I mean, any of those questions would have been understandable. But instead, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Now think about that. Why do you think Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Here's my take on it. I think it's because Jesus genuinely loved Peter. Think about it. Would you ask somebody the question, you know, do you love me? Unless you first love them. 
No. I mean, would you ask your spouse or your child or your, your friend, uh, do you love me? Uh, if you didn't love them, I don't think you'd do that. That wouldn't make any sense. And so when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Here's what he's really communicating. Peter, I love you. Do you love me? The question implies Jesus loves Peter. And that's what Peter most needed to hear. And then here's what Peter said back to Jesus. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And those are the words Peter most needed to say. And so Jesus repeats the same question three different times, and three times Peter affirms his love for Jesus. Now, I don't think Jesus asked this question three different times because he didn't believe Peter. I think Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to say, I love you, three times to mirror those three denials that he did a few days earlier. See, this moment restored Peter. This, this moment proved his value and worth. This moment healed his relationship with Jesus. This, this moment renewed his purpose for life. Never, ever underestimate the power of these three words, I love you. And so as you think about the people that matter the most in your life today, your spouse, your kids, your friends, maybe your parents, it's not enough to just feel internally, you know, the words, I love you. We, we must also express our love externally, intentionally, and verbally because these three words have the power to, to heal and to restore and to ascribe value and to just breathe new life into the relationship. And so I want to give you three principles for expressing these uh, life-giving words, I love you, in the relationships we really value. First of all, let's do this. Let's make it regular. Would you go ahead and say that out loud with me? Make it regular. Say it in the morning. Say it in the evening. Say it at bedtime. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine uh, from another church took a group of high school students on a retreat to the Wisconsin Dells recently. And one evening, he's leading a discussion with a, with a small group of uh, high school guys, and he can tell the conversation's going deeper. And this is going to be a night they're going to remember for a long time. And as he wrapped up the uh, conversation, he went around to each of the guys, hugged them, and said, I love you, man. Sometimes if you add man to it, you know, it doesn't feel as soft, it's a little easier to say, I love you, man. But when he hugged one of the students and said, I love you, the student burst into tears. He thought, maybe I did something wrong until the student regained his composure, and he said, those are words I have never heard from my real dad. And he said, thank you for loving me. Let's make sure that no one you or I love ever has to say the words, I've never heard those words before. Last uh, uh, Valentine's Day, the managing editor at CNN, Kat Kinsman, posted this article about saying, I love you, her experiences with it. She said she had somebody in her life who, who wouldn't say it back to her and somebody else who chastised her because they said she uh, would say it too often. But she writes that saying the phrase, actually, it came quite easy for her, and she attributes that to the way she was raised. I think she said some profound things in this article. She says she was raised by people with seemingly endless stocks of both language and affection. I love you was said with the casualness, oftenness, and ease of good morning, good night, and please pass the butter. And it was genuine each and every time it was said. I was taught that the sentiment earned interest, compounding into a surplus to dip into when we were apart from each other. 
And then look at this. She says, I knew I was loved because I was lucky enough to be told. I learned to share the wealth. I knew I was loved because I was lucky enough to be told. I think she makes a great point about saying I love you. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to cheapen the words. It can actually make the words more powerful and meaningful. And if we make it a regular habit, think about this. If we make it a regular habit to you know, tell the people that we care about that, that we love them, that's going to inspire them and empower them to freely express their love uh, for others because they were lucky enough to be told. And so let's make it uh, regular. And then second principle for expressing these words, I love you, is to make it unconditional. Say that out loud with me. Make it unconditional. How many of you, when you grew up, uh, played sports, team sports as a child or as a, as a teenager? Yeah, quite a few of you had that experience. Anybody have the crazy mom or dad who always got overexcited and screamed at the top of their uh, lungs? Maybe some, of, maybe some of you are also that parent. Uh, so many times after the game, you know, when the family all piles in the car, the conversation turns in a familiar direction. With good intentions, the parents turn into another coach. And here's what they do. They praise the child for the good plays they made, and they give advice to avoid future mistakes. It's a very common conversation, but what research shows is that kids, they don't want another coach. Longtime coaches Bruce Brown and Robert Miller took a survey and asked hundreds of college athletes, what is your worst memory of playing youth and high school sports. And the overwhelming response, the ride home after games with parents. And these same college students were asked what their parents said that made them feel great or magnified their joy. The overwhelming response to that question, I love to watch you play. Think about that for a minute. I don't love you for your victories. I don't get frustrated by your defeats. I love to watch you play. You know, all of us need to hear unconditional words of love like that from the people that matter the most in our, in our lives. We don't want to be told, you know, I love you, but could you do this differently? Or, you know, I love you, but could you, could you change this? Unconditional love says, I love you no matter what. And when we make it unconditional, think about this, it makes it easier to say it more often because it's not dependent on them doing something right. And so make it regular Make it unconditional. And then when we say, I love you, it helps to uh, make it specific. I want you to think about somebody that you deeply love right now, okay? Somebody that you really treasure. How would you finish this sentence here? How would you complete this sentence about that person? I love you because blank. Now, you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute. You just said, you know, make it un un unconditional. Yeah, you're right. And so let me clarify. We're not putting conditions on love, okay? No. Instead, the challenge is to look for things that you love about this other person that are inherent to their nature, and then make sure that you tell them those specific things. You know, for example, if I were saying this about my wife, I could say a lot of things, but I might say, you know, I, I love you because you listen intently, you know, when I share something that's important to me. If I were to say this about my dad, if my dad were still alive, I would say, Dad, I love you because... You, you set a great example of, uh, what a, of what a great dad looks like. I, I'm thinking of one of my friends, and I would, I would say uh, to this friend, I love you because of your positive outlook. You always see the best in every person. 
in every situation. See, when you tell people specifically why you love them, it affirms their beauty, it reminds them of their, of their worth and their value, and it gives them confidence to fully embrace who God made them to be. Every person needs to hear the words, I love you. And, and you and I, we've got the power you know, to say those words and transform uh, those relationships. So let's talk about putting this into practice. I, I want you to think of some specific names of, of people in your life right now. And I, and I also want you, if you haven't already, to take out the uh, outline in your program. And you'll notice on the back side of the outline are these four words. Hear, read, touch, and receive. Okay? It's on the left-hand side on the back of your outline. First of all, who in your life right now most needs to hear you say the words, I love you. I want you to write, write down a name beside that word. And uh, it might be somebody who you love, and it might be clear that you love them, but you don't normally look this person in the eye and say, I love you. It might be a spouse, maybe your, maybe your child, maybe a friend, maybe your parent. Who is it for you? Who needs to hear you say, I love you? today. Write their name down. And then the next word here is the word uh, read. And uh, uh, think of somebody in your life who needs to have you write it down for them, okay? You know, maybe you write it down in an email or uh, a text message. Something that we do periodically in our family is uh, we text each other the numbers 143 because I has one letter, love has four letters, you has three letters. 143 stands for I love you. Or maybe you handwrite uh, that, that, that phrase, I love you, in a card or a letter. That's a powerful way to get the love out of your heart and into somebody else's heart. And the cool thing about writing it down is that people can hold on to that and they can read it again and again. Maybe some of you have a file where you keep cards and you keep letters because they're just so meaningful to you and you love to go back and, and reread them. So who in your life needs you to write it down? So they can read it. Put their name down next to that word read. And then next is the word touch. Okay? And I know this series is called words, but sometimes actions convey words okay, powerfully. And non-sexual touch can powerfully convey the phrase, I love you. Maybe you hold hands you know, when you go shopping or while you watch TV together. Or maybe you uh, put your child on your lap or sit close when you read a story to them. Maybe you put a hand on somebody's shoulder. Maybe you shake hands with somebody that you're at odds with. Whose name do you need to write down next to the word touch? Final word here is the word receive. And you know what? This may be the toughest one out of the four. Sometimes it's easier to give love than it is to receive love. Maybe we've been hurt or maybe we've got a lot of pride and it gets in the way of receiving love, but a, a huge way to say I love you is to allow somebody else to express it to you, to allow somebody else to get the love out of their heart and into uh, your heart. So we need to give and receive it, and we need to do all four of these words, hear, read, touch, and uh, receive. All right, let's go back to Peter for a moment. Remember Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then fast forward, Peter goes on years later to write some of the books in the New Testament and in one of them, he wrote these powerful words that can inspire us. Take a look at this. He writes, most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Look at this next line. Love makes up for practically anything. I love that verse because it gives us relational hope 
and confidence. Here's what I mean. I know, I know I mess up a lot as a parent. I do. But if I really love my kids, that can make up for, for the stuff I get wrong. And I know I'm not a perfect husband. You can ask my wife about that. But I know if I love her well, that can make up for my shortcomings as a husband. And I know sometimes I blow it as a, as a friend. But if I, love, if I love really well, that can make up for practically anything. This verse gives us a lot of relational hope and confidence. So, so think of some names. I mean, who needs you to... Who needs to hear it from you? Who needs to read it from you? Who needs to feel it through your touch? And uh, make sure you write down some specific names. Now, you may have noticed that I didn't ask you to write, it, write down a name for receive. And here's why. Because I want, I want, I'm hoping that you write your name there, okay? See, God doesn't want you to leave this room today without you hearing him say these words to you, I love you. And without you being able to say back to him, God, I love you, or at least I want to learn to love you. And so if you receive that love, I'm, I'm hoping that you write your name down there. And remember that receiving God's love, that's what gives us a new heart internally so that we can love other people around us. Now, I want you to see a video about a song that makes this point. You may have heard this song before. Maybe you've sung this song before. It's a great song that reminds us how God's love changes our heart and gives us the ability to love other people. And then after the video, our team is going is to lead this song, and we welcome you to uh, join in and sing it together. Take a look. It's a powerful song. Great message for all of us in there. And I was thinking about how, you know, maybe for some of us here, you've never been told that you were loved by a parent, by a spouse, by a friend. But God has always uh, loved you from the beginning of, of time all the way to, you know, Jesus on the cross. God's been saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And he still speaks those words to you today because his love is unconditional and his love is relentless. Apostle John said, we love because he first loved us. And so each week we share communion to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross to demonstrate his love for us. And, and he says to us through communion, I love you. And uh, the bread represents his body, the juice represents his blood. And as we eat and as we drink those elements, what we're really doing is we're saying back to him, we're saying, Jesus, I love you, and I'm going to love the people that you've put in my life. And so I'm going to pray for us, and our communion, the trays will be passed. Our communion's open to, to, to anyone who receives uh, God's love and wants to say back to him, God, I love you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for you know, not just feeling love for us internally. You went ahead and demonstrated your love visibly externally, sacrificially, by sending your son Jesus into the world to, to show us you know, how to love and to die as a sacrifice for, for all our sins, the ultimate act of love. God, thank you for just wiping away our insecurity and our doubts by declaring your unconditional love for every person in this room. And God, right now we take a moment to share communion and remember what you did for us, how you first loved us and through this communion and through our lives, we want to say, I love you, back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.